Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if I would ask anybody that I see here in this room, maybe as well the people who are watching online, what is Jesus like? I'm certain that you would tell me things like, He's kind, He's patient, He's forgiving, He's loving. And you would say that out of the things you've learned about him from the Bible, but possibly also from your experience of, of interacting with Jesus. Probably very few of you would say, he's angry, he's wrathful. But is he ever? And he is. Now, if you want the full picture of God, you talk about... His nature, the way he desires to be, the desire we generally encounter him as. But you also have to understand that the sin of mankind and the rebellion of Satan brings from Christ also anger, righteous anger, and then sometimes wrath. As I mentioned before the service began, um, one of those things that really set God off, his pet peeve, if you will, is human arrogance. And let's just think why that would bother God and why it would bother God a lot. Well, first of all, he understands that we are substantially lower than him in intelligence. So when we start to act like we know better, that's annoying, Right? And he also knows that we are tainted by sin and we are capable of a lot. So when we start to act high and mighty and self-righteous, that is like, that is not what you are. You are saved by grace. Get yourself in line. When you read through the Gospels, what do you see? You see Jesus being, I think, extremely kind, even to people who are living well outside the bounds of, of what God desires. You know, he, he went to eat with tax collectors and sinners, quote-unquote. But what group gets a very terse, sometimes even harsh response from Jesus? It's the Pharisees almost every time, Right? What's wrong with the Pharisees? How would you describe them? They are self-righteous. They believe themselves to be a better understander of the law than Jesus. They are always trying to trip him up. And they get from Jesus just what you would expect. Harsh condemnation in many cases. Not that all of them were treated that way. I mean, Paul was a Pharisee. But the majority got that got that from God. Well, what about Job? What we're reading in Job, when you look at the Old Testament lesson for today, this is the buildup from a fairly long story, and let me quickly recap it if, if you don't know it. Job was a man, we're not really sure when he lived. He could have lived actually before Noah's flood. But, but he was a a surprisingly decent guy, considering that he had a sinful human nature. And God was very, very pleased with him. And God blessed him a great deal because of how he lived. 
But Satan looked at him and said, oh, that guy, he's just like the rest. He's going to curse you to your face if you take away your blessings. So it did become a test of Job and a harsh one at that. Satan was allowed to take away uh, a chunk of his family, all of his riches, and then his health in in a very painful way. But they couldn't take away his life. Then along come three quote-unquote friends. And the friends give him long speeches, basically saying, confess, confess what you did. God only does this to people who who deserve it. And Job says, you know, I can't think of anything. I, you know, accuse me if, if you know what it is. But I believe that I've kept my ways upright. And finally, after enough pressure, you get to chapter 31 of Job, and Job finally says, and he he doesn't just say it the way we might. He says, God, you're unjust. And then God comes back to him, first in the words of a person named Elihu, and then what we're reading here in chapter 38, is God speaking directly to Job out of a whirlwind, a little mini tornado he creates to reveal or to conceal his presence. And he gives this sort of long challenge to Job. Job, what do you know? Where were you? How can you say I'm unjust? You don't even know what's happening and in the end to job's credit job says you're right i take back my statements so even a little moment of arrogance from job in the midst of some pretty severe suffering gets a stern rebuke from god now as i read God's rebuke, I thought, what would we say to these rebukes? What would our society say about all these things? And what does God think about it? I mean, most of these things are connected to the idea of of creation. And what, what would society say? Well, it says... In a very arrogant way, we know because we discovered that all this beautiful stuff, all this complexity can happen basically by chance. And, and we rest on that. Like that is a, a really proven thing. Wow. And we say it not because we were there, but because we look at forensic evidence that we are interpreting. And interpreting through a lens that says God can't exist. So if you're going to look at something with the lens that says God can't exist, what answer are you going to come up with? God can't exist, right? I mean, it's predetermined. But don't be fooled by these things. This poisonous ideology has been around now for 150 years, but it's had some glaring holes that you don't see, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy, bringing up to you. 
What glaring holes are there? You should know them. First of all, natural selection and that idea of how things are created has to start somehow. You have to have the first living thing to ever grow any other living things from it. How do you get the first one? We used to think, we used to think that the first living thing was extremely simple. And then we developed for ourselves scientific means of peering into the workings of the cell and found out it is not simple at all. It's like a micro factory. It's extremely complex. The simplest thing. And you can't claim that natural selection created that factory because non-living things are not impacted by natural selection. So when NASA gets all excited and says, there's water on this planet, you know what, we're not making Kool-Aid. We're making a living thing, you need more than water. And even if you say, oh look, there's amino acids in this stuff. No, you don't just need any amino acids. You need all of one kind, a left-hand kind, and they all have to work in concert. You're not there. It's not that easy. And when you look at the odds, you don't say, we got lucky. You say, this didn't happen this way. And then you move on and say, okay, let's, for sake of argument, Say the first living things around. Now how do you make it into a human being? And natural selection, natural selection happens. But it only happens at the lowest level, at species level. It can modify a living thing. Yes, but it can't modify it into a different living thing. It has never been shown. In fact, when you look at what's necessary genetically, there's no imaginable way that that's going to happen. What you are asking blind selection to do is a virtual impossibility because natural selection needs something to select. And we know what mutations do and what they're capable of. And what they're capable of is mostly damage. Well, exclusively damage. And sometimes that damage does help a creature, but it's still damaged. It's losing information rather than gaining it. And does it matter? Well, it matters to God. But it should matter to you. Because what does this ideology say about you it says you're nothing it says you're just a biological quirk it says you have no purpose you have no future you are nothing and that's the ideology we run to grasp hold of that makes no sense at all it is also given rise because People of that ideology want to say, oh, religion causes all sorts of strife. Darwinism created the Nazi party. Hitler admitted he was just trying to do what, what evolution was trying to do and to speed it up. 
It's the religion of the Jews that gives value to people, and that would include Christianity. That's the problem. So the Nazi party, is that a good thing? Did it do a lot of good for, for the earth? Or how about godless communism? Same thing. How many millions, hundreds of millions of people were put to death by that? And what does that mindset still threaten us to do? Granted, Russia is not technically communist, but the mindset that says people are worthless still runs pretty darn deep in those countries. So that's one kind of arrogance that God cannot stand. But there's another that stands to be even more dangerous. It's the belief that we can can control what we can create. There's a story in the Bible. I think it's a weird story still. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. Remember that story? For the longest time, I, I said to myself, this has got to be a myth. A myth about how there's different languages. But then I realized what God was really trying to do. He was trying to slow our roll a little bit. To keep us from advancing. He was not threatened by the ability to build a tower. He was... He saw a threat, he himself not threatened, but he saw a threat to all of mankind about where we would go if we were left unhindered, how fast we would reach a point where we were pretty darn dangerous. And I'm afraid we have arrived at that point. We're pretty darn dangerous. How are we dangerous? Three things I will mention. One of them I was involved with personally. They're all potentially good and useful things. However, in the hands of simple human beings, they are all terribly dangerous things. The one I was involved with is nuclear power. Nuclear power keeps the lights on. Nuclear power could be managed. Nuclear power also can be used to create a weapon, and we have not lived past the danger of this weapon that could in a day render this planet uninhabitable. And then biological modification. We don't know how to spell out using DNA and how to make a creature. All we know is that certain sections do certain things. So we are cut and paste people. We can cut and paste and maybe make an improvement. But we don't always know what cut and paste will produce. Will we someday cut and paste either accidentally or on purpose? Something that we cannot handle. Something that makes COVID look like sniffles. And then artificial intelligence, the poster child for this year as to how we're going to end civilization. It has a lot of potential to do good. But even now, even in its still kind of nascent stage, 
it does stuff, and the best people go, we don't really know why it does this. You don't know why it does this? Well, let's just let it go and see what happens. And we go, well, we need to regulate this. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure China's going to find what Congress does very interesting, and it, and it will contain itself. You can't regulate it. Pretty soon it's going to be some form that we can barely, if at all, control. And the problem really isn't in the technology. It's in the people who made it. We are sinful human beings, and we are living under a curse, and there's plenty of danger in that. So what are we supposed to do? I mean, I can't do anything about those three things. You can't do anything about those three things, and I'm afraid even the people in power can't do anything about those three things. Here's what I would say to you. One, don't fall into the trap of humanity and think that you know better than God and take on the same arrogance that, that people have. Realize the anger that that creates and how it's inappropriate and a joke, really. And be humble because you are saved by grace. Then... If you ever do identify in yourself a certain degree of arrogance and I know better than God, repent of it. And pray to the one being who really can do something about this to preserve us. To pray, as, as the hymn we just sang, with Christian resignation. Uh, that was an interesting turn of words. I, I can't control the world. And I know the world is dangerous, but I leave it in the hands of God. That's Christian resignation. And then, you know, I could see people looking at these things and going, let's build a bomb shelter. Let's go seal ourselves in some sort of baggie until it's all over. And I would tell to, say to you, no. You live aware of these things, but you live unafraid. Because even if the worst of it happens, you are connected to Jesus Christ. You have existence beyond anything this world can throw at you. So you can live in peace and boldness, but not in arrogance. In Jesus' name. Amen.